since he saw it. They're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Ah! Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. The movies. Fuck. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to, to the podcast about <laughs> movies. Hi. Oh, boy. Get the pre-game jitters out. Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast relegated to fuck my life. Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to movies relegated to a late night purgatory. And these are our Flicks-tober episodes, a special one month run of spooky episodes. Last year, we did a dedication to different horror subgenre. And this year, we are tackling the entire Nightmare on Elm Street series uh, piece by piece each week we'll do two different movies in order so tonight you have the pleasure of listening to Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and 2 Freddy's Revenge um, very excited for this series uh, Adam welcome back yeah I feel like those um, couple months went by pretty quick I know we had a small hiatus from the ending of our successful season two. And um, we always hop back on the mic uh, right around October because it's, you know, both of our favorite months, both of our favorite month for horror movies. And, um, you know, I think I thought this was a really good idea. And and the way we're breaking it down is we're including 
every Nightmare on Elm Street outside of the remake in whatever fucking year that came out. Um, but we're including Freddy versus Jason in the mix. So it's a, it'll be a, a fucking party here. Yeah. Are you good in um, lubricated for this? How was the game? <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. They lost again, didn't they? Well, um, yeah, it's basically the, yeah, the Chicago Bears have been the bane of my fucking existence <laughs> <laughs> since birth. So I, I'm I'm no longer, uh, I, I've got bulletproof armor at this point. I, I can't be hurt. They can't hurt me anymore because I refuse to let them. So well, I don't I care. Well, you want to go out there and shit the bed? I don't fucking care anymore. Well, I know it stings when I mention it every time, but I am old enough to remember the 85 and 86 Bears. They're glory days. Yeah, I'm glad I was born right after that. So I just had a I was born three months after that 85 Super Bowl. So it's been nothing but pain for for me, (laughs) which is fine. Well, I know you hate the Cubs, but, you know, here's the thing. Now that the Cubs are a winning team. Somebody had to take up the Chicago curse. Yeah, but they're trash now because they they traded away all their players and they suck again. But the White Sox are first to clinch a playoff berth here. So, well, there you go, Lottie fucking da. So <laughs> now that we've scared away any potential viewer with, <laughs> I with thought sports. this was a horror movie. <laughs> they're talking about fucking sports. Sports okay. talk off the top to scare the fucking the incels away. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, I, I, I don't know about you, but I have not watched all of the nightmare on Elm streets uh, in a long time. And I, I don't think I've revisited uh, many of them, um, you know, singularly in, in a while, uh, mm-hmm. man, that the, the first one, which we're going to get into here shortly, still a fucking ripper. Just a goddamn ripper. It's fucking awesome. And I thought maybe we could discuss top three Craven. Is this in your top three Craven? And what is your top three? Oh, hands down. This is in my top five greatest horror movies of all time. This is one of the greatest American horror movies ever made. Yes. Without a Agreed. doubt. Just so what's your top, top three look like? Uh, top three Craven. Uh, so this... Hills I know I put you eyes. on the spot. This is nothing we no, talked no, no. about. That's fine. The Hills Have Eyes, obviously. And, um, man, it's hard for me to pick, like, a third one because – so here's the thing. I – so I I like Last House on the Left just for its place in history. As a movie, it's not, like, the greatest movie, but, like, the ending is fucking sick. Mm-hmm. Um but I actually really, really like some Craven sleepers like Deadly Friend and Shocker and even Chiller mm-hmm. and People Under the Stairs. I love People Under the Stairs so much. Yeah. yeah. So that's hard for me to choose. So definitely Hills Have Eyes this. And you know what? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be a contrarian and I'm going to say Deadly Friend. I really like Deadly Friend, even though I haven't watched it in a while. So there you go. Well, what about you? I think same. I would say, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street, Hills Have Eyes, and Scream. I would put, I'd, I'd throw Scream in there. Yeah, Scream I, is is just it's uh, what it did for horror 
it, it every now and then every like generation or maybe less than that decade a horror movie resets the fucking clock scream helped to reset the the path that horror was on at the time yeah for sure and i and i definitely you know i give it its credit where it's due because of that and i like it just fine as a movie i honestly but i didn't i wasn't stoked on it when it came out i thought i thought i was like it was too it was way too teen movie for me at the time but you know i came around to it later i haven't seen any of the sequels i think maybe the second one so there you go (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, having said that, uh, we have a. Uh, I would I would describe these episodes as a relaxed fit bootcut gene. Um, we've done away with the uh, awards and categories, and we are just going to do a good, bad, and questionable as a means of discussion for um, these movies. So, for the purposes of um, the first movie that we're going to talk to uh, talk about, the biggest banger in the franchise um, released in 1984 inspired by uh, Craven having, having read about these uh, uh, Asian refugees fleeing um, genocide in Laos and Cambodia and Vietnam and having such disturbing nightmares that they refused to sleep. And some of them were found dead in their sleep. Uh, What a hauntingly fucking nightmarish real world application that he used to um to put this together but i I love the inspiration of it um and it's right in the middle of the the busiest decade in horror and uh man does it, it it's it it holds its own uh not just in the 80s but just in general like you said one of the greatest american horror movies ever made yeah, and I'm going to slide this in real quick and slide by slide. I, I mean it um, because I don't know where else I'm going to put this. I should also say that maybe some of my other favorite Wes Craven horror movies are when he was a porn director named Abe Snake. Oh, boy. What a name. That's a true thing, too. That's he went under the pseudonym Abe Snake in the <laughs> 70s. One of the worst porn names ever. My it's God. so sick. But yes, um, yeah, and conceptually just amazing because obviously it took crucial elements of the slasher framework and developed it into a whole different beast. And because Craven was a philosophy major, he has he had a degree in philosophy, as far as I know. Do you lose um, your degrees uh, at postmortem? Uh, no, I mean I, he still has <laughs> he still has it in the he has it in the His in the dream. After, like, he's he's a, yes he's a doctor corpse, uh, doctor run West Craven PhD corpse. Um, yeah, so he took some of those ideas probably that he had accumulated from being uh, a student of philosophy, just it's like the mind body issue and what we perceive as reality and what actually is reality. And he kind of built upon that. I feel like with this movie. So, yeah, very much so. And looking at his, uh, at his, uh, filmography, he really just, it it culminates in, um, nightmare on Elm street. 
like, you know, obviously Last House on the Left and Hills Have Eyes are the, the two biggest things he did up to that point. But he never went on to obviously top this because <laughs> this is easily the best movie he made. But he would go on to have a very successful career into the 2000s. So um, he really used this as a springboard to do more of I, I don't think you get Shocker or Deadly Friend or. Or, or the films that you do, if this isn't as wildly successful as it is, because people aren't willing to take chances maybe with them. Yeah, and I mean, some people would argue that Scream is also one of his greatest movies just because how much it reinvented the genre. Up and until being, Scream, yeah. Right, and being self-referential. And that was his deal with like the new Nightmare and Scream was, you know, that's where people were like, wow, he's doing something different. He's breaking the fourth wall and he's he's referring to the genre within he he works within his movies in like a tongue-in-cheek sort of way but again it is that he he's applying these ideas and in philosophy to the way he writes his scripts is you know by blurring that line between reality and fiction and dream and things like that so yeah Shall we, uh, anything else we want to get out there before we get into it then? No, let's just, let's bang it out. We got to bang it out. Bang it out. Bang, bang. We do have two movies to do. So we will get into the good, Mm -hmm. the bad, and the questionable. with a hall of fame bloated good uh (laughs) (laughs) what do you even want to start with um what is the best thing about this movie to you the best scene or best scene? just the best thing any it could be a scene it could be you know the special effects yeah the best thing about this movie is we talk about this when we get into horror for me, there's not a lot of horror as someone who loves horror. I appreciate it as a genre and it's aesthetic and what its intent is, but I can't ever really recall times where I've been genuinely terrified by movies, but there's definitely movies that give me a feeling that resembles terror and unease. And I would say this movie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is another one is one of those movies that in many ways is genuinely terrifying and has a vibe that is genuinely frightening throughout the whole thing. You know, so the thing with, and we're, we're kind of foreshadowing when we get further into the series, but anybody that knows this series knows that it progressively got sillier and more like wild and over the top. But this movie, it's not at all. None of that is indicative in this movie. There is very little sense of humor to it. It's really like a scary movie. And, and I feel that it still holds up to this day. And I will say Freddie is one of the most unique serial killer slashers villains in horror ever made. 
Yeah. Um, I, you know, he purposely wanted, cause with Michael, between Michael and Jason, you're getting no dialogue. So he wanted, he wanted someone that was, you know, ver- verbally, you know, abusive as well. Uh, and it's, the, it, it's what stands out. It's what makes this series stand out specifically when compared to Halloween and, and Friday the 13th. But, um, not, not just for that reason, but I don't know where you're at with this, but Nightmare on Elm Street is my favorite of the big three, for sure. Yes, mine as well. Absolutely. I would say in terms of if I was to catalog them, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, then Friday the 13th, as far as the big three baddie guys. I go back and forth between Halloween and, and Friday the 13th, because... Halloween just has such a lull there. Um, at, you know, after Season of the Witch, it just takes kind of a strange little... <laughs> it, it just has a lull. Friday the 13th it just, is pumping out the same formula. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to right. the point of, no, you know, ad, ad nauseum, but like... <laughs> I don't know. It's a fun formula. So, but yeah, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street stands, it's stands apart from those two. And I find them thoroughly enjoyable, even though, like you said, he, uh, Freddy Krueger will get sillier and sillier as these movies progress, almost culminating to the point where Wes Craven has to rein this fucking shit back. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> which I'm glad he does with new nightmare because new nightmare fucking rips. And I can't wait to get to that one. It's one of my favorite ones in the series, but that was also something I noticed. Uh, you know, it wasn't surprising to me. I, you know, I, I knew that he wasn't fucking, uh, Charlie Chaplin in this, in these early ones. Um, one and two. Yeah. It's serious, Freddie. And I fucking, I love that. Cause he poses such, so much more of a threat and, He's we're, we are going to, as we do these, slowly see him <laughs> started to like just like a fucking slapstick comedian um, for better or for worse. Yeah. And f- for that matter, he's definitely not as talkative in these first two. So it's 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 markedly different. And he has less dialogue and none of it is cheeky or funny with the exception of in two there's a little bit but in this one i mean he's always been a mischief maker he's like this mischievous impish Mm -hmm. kind of like villain in a lot of ways and it's almost like a evil genie that's being released from a bottle right he's a gin right he's a a gin for sure Mm -hmm. yeah and and casting robert unglen in that role was perfect because facially he even has that kind of look like that kind of like devious kind of almost like rat kind of face you know (laughs) so he was perfect just for looks alone to play this role Um, absolutely but what i wanted to say real quick as far as actual scenes from the get-go that you can't fuck with that opening scene where he's making the glove in the boiler <laughs> yeah, room. It's so iconic. And I did, so I didn't look it up, but you brought this up. Um, I feel like it's an episode we did uh, this last season, but there was a movie that we, that we did that paid homage to the opening of nightmare on Elm street. Do you know what it was? 
Yeah, it's it's I, you had pointed oh, I, it out because you were like, this is a la Freddy, like sharpening his hand glove. Fucking oh, thing. it was Terrifier. Terrifier. That that yeah, is was, what it was. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, Terrifier. Yeah. Right. I yeah, love right. the uh, and it's shot in like a full screen format. I'm not sure if that's the technical term, but it, yeah. it's, it's shot differently from the rest of the movie. Um, killer opening sequence like it's it's not like a a violent opening sequence or anything but you get like the inside the mind of a fucking you know madman kind of thing i i love that that the opening fucks yeah you're right yeah so there you go i was also gonna mention uh because it's part of my good um when done effectively and this is you know a, a pretty a pretty well-known thing in, in, in horror and in, in general, but the less you show the actual killer, if you can pull it off effectively, just the, the threat of him or people talking about the killer and the fear that that presents is so much more terrifying than showing the killer repeatedly. For instance, Jaws, the shark is in the original Jaws for four minutes of screen time, which is absolutely unbelievable. Like yeah. Steven Spielberg makes you think that that shark is in every fucking scene because you're constantly thinking about it. What would you I looked it up. What do you how much how many minutes of screen time do you think Freddy Krueger is in this fucking thing? 15, 10 to 15, seven, seven. Wow. Because I figured that ending scene alone He's represented quite a bit, but the ending sequence where he's fighting Nancy, but yeah, so that's, yeah, I figured it was around 10. So that's in my, my, obviously in my good, this idea that just the sheer notion of Freddy Krueger is so much more terrifying than when he's actually on screen. But then when he is, they double down. And when he is on screen, he's a fucking menace and, and and a terror like his persona is so much meaner in this original one it's fucking great but boy i mean robert england's cutting checks here early on for (laughs) not a lot of work i would imagine because every time you see like the glove or whatever like those are all off-screen people i'm sure um so that I, i think that's one of the things that people would be shocked to know about the original nightmare on elm street yeah, the opening sequence actually was a double. It's it's a stand-in. I know yeah. that. So yeah. there is that. Um, I will say this, too, as far as him not being present in terms of the way he develops. This is also another constant through the series is every time he gradually kind of ramps up his terror. So it starts off where he's more just like kind of fucking with people. You know, and he's 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 playing with them, but he's not right out of the gate killing people. He's toying with them. It's like he toys with and his he also victims has to, and finally goes after them. Because he has to build up his power because he's not, you know, strong enough because he's not in their thoughts yet. Um, but the more and more people talk about yeah. him is, is how he grows in 
in in power. So, yeah, that sure. I think that it's a slow build that that works out works really well. Um, I know you, this is in your good. The dedication to the practical effects is just mm, chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Freddie's face being pushed through the the wall above Nancy's bed is just so iconic and great. And Tina clawing at, at Freddie's face and his face like sloughing off in her hands is fucking fantastic. Tina's body bag being dragged across the, the fucking hallways is is great. Um, what else am I missing here? Oh, Nancy running up the quicksand steps. I love <laughs> I love that shit. That's such a good one. The, the Freddie tongue phone thing and like it's almost like i thought some of these were in uh later they're all in the first one i I was it's fucking wild to think about but having said even all that tina's death is still like jaw-dropping it's so fucking good um if we 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 should probably do this with every movie but we should probably litigate the best death uh for every movie you know what i mean um I'm in awe at the creativity behind nailing that shot when she's being dragged across the ceiling with Rod in the foreground. Like it's shot like in a room that's, you know, the set is upside down or whatever. It's fucking (laughs) bonkers and still works. Like it's a, it's a trick of the eye, kind of like a camera trick that is still fucking works today. That, that is a fucking amazing scene. Yeah, so obviously Tina's death and how brutal it is and and just bonkers. But for me, really honestly, the best death in this movie has always been Glenn's getting really? sucked. Oh yeah, that that geyser of blood just shooting out of the bed. It's this endless like just shower of blood that just and I think that was just a room. shot played in reverse. It looked like right. Another yeah. one where they probably, yeah, they might've had a scene upside down where they were just dumping the blood out or yeah, that one's <laughs> always been my favorite. And I think it's like, honestly, legit, one of the most disgusting fucked up deaths in a movie. But Tina's is also like really, really brutal. So So we have Tina's ceiling dragging evisceration. We've got Glenn's uh, like liquefied. He gets liquefied. (laughs) Pureed in the bed. (laughs) And then Rod's jail cell hanging, which is not, you know, anywhere on par with the other two. But um, those are the three big ones, I think. Well, and then there's uh, Marge's death from her being burned alive and then turning into this weird spectral corpse that sinks into the bed. Yeah. yeah, That's true. Um, so, okay. Well you have, you voted, you're voting for Glenn. I'm, I'm voting for Tina in terms of, fair enough. in terms of the first one. What are the good great. do you have? So there's also the part where, I mean, you mentioned the body bag scene, but prior it's either prior or after, there's the shot of Tina where she just has like the weird like slugs and snakes dropping out of her and then the centipede that crawls out of her mouth. Like again, just real, just like kind of almost like gag reflex sort of gross, creepy crawly shit. Yeah. Body horror type shit. Um, So there's that for sure. 
Um, the whole, I, yeah, I like the whole in sequence with the booby trapping, you know, so we have a, a, a booby trap like sequence here. That's pretty notable. Yeah. So I was going to say, um, usually we talk about bad plans. I love Nancy, like MacGyvering the shit out of that house, like some fucked up home alone. Um, yeah. I, I love the plan. Like it's a, it's a real world solution for like a fantastical problem, like a supernatural problem. She's like, well, fuck this. I'm going to hang like sledgehammers and shit out here. Just yeah. drag his bitch ass out into reality yeah. and just fuck him up. But yeah, I, I love the, I, and it's set up uh, when, when Glenn sees her on the bridge and is like, Oh, you're reading like tactical, like fucking jungle combat or some <laughs> shit. <laughs> It's good. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Yeah. And then, of course, Freddy coming through the wall, as you mentioned, there, we have two Freddy condom uh, sequences. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I was like, his, <laughs> his face is being like pushed through latex. Like, I'm not really sure how to describe yeah. it. It's spandex, apparently. Oh, okay. They were spandex. So, yeah. Okay. So he. Plenty of that to got, go around in the 80s. So, <laughs> right. Made, so we got do. Freddy pushing through the condom in the wall and then Freddy pushing through the condom in the bed. There's yeah. those. Yeah. 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 And, um, so as far as other practical effects things, when Freddy, Freddy cuts off his fingers and it sprays, that's really good. But then when he cuts open his chest and the maggots mm-hmm. kind of pulse out with like that green, like ooze, the, the, you Viscera. can't do that on television. <laughs> yeah. <ooze> coming out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So tons of great practical effects, really gross out type shit. Um, as far as like cast goes, this is a pretty banger cast. And we even got some like notable little cameos and extras and, um, secondary cast in here. But I don't know about you, cause I know you did, or you did actually a thesis or essay on this, but for me, I feel like Nancy is one of, if not the greatest final girl. Uh, same page. Nancy is the greatest final girl of the 80s. Yes. Um, Ripley is the greatest final girl of the 70s. That's uh, true. So, yes, I'll give it to Nancy because if we're to litigate this a little bit, Laurie Strode is a little too ineffectual, especially in the first Halloween. She's mo- she's she's playing too much defense. <laughs> she's yeah. not putting up nearly enough shots like Nancy, yeah. on the other hand, is going full offense Practically yeah. from the jump, like it, it, I'm trying to compare like there was a game. <laughs> I'm going to lose more viewers here, but Tracy, <laughs> Mag- <laughs> Tracy McGrady played for the Houston Rockets and he put up a performance where he put up like 13 points in 30 seconds or something fucking crazy. This is like the equivalent of 13 points, 30 seconds, Tracy McGrady game. Like she is, <laughs> she recognizes the problem early doesn't give a fuck that everyone's trying to like talk her out of what the problem is and what the solution should be. And she goes on the offense about it. Like it's pretty fucking badass, especially when she's like, all right, fuck this. I'm going to drag him into this, into this fucking reality. And I'm going to do this all myself. It's a, it's a one man show. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. She's great. And it's really wild. We'll go into this more when we get further into the series, a little bit at least. But it's really wild to me that Heather Langenkamp's career kind of didn't like 
skyrocket from this role. It just she just kind of languished for whatever reasons. I don't know really the circumstances as to why she just got kind of like typecast as oh well she's Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street and we're gonna put her in three notable movies and that's it. It's kind of wild to me that that happened to her. So yeah, back in 1984, if you showed someone this movie and you're like one of these people is gonna be the biggest star in the world, then you're like it's Glenn. <laughs> So that's a perfect segue. Before we get into that, though, I will. I have some theories as far as that goes. So I don't know. Like maybe this because we just talked about you know Laurie and Jamie Lee Curtis. So I don't know how tri- attributable this could be, but Nancy slash Heather Langkamp is a very very sweet, innocent looking actress. She's very unassuming. There's nothing like sexual about her at all, you know? So I don't know if that was, it was attributable to that. They just couldn't market her as being a sexy actress. Like, you know, they, they, um, fucking, um, Linda Blair, I think for a moment, tried to be a edgy, sexy actress and it really, really failed miserably. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, almost well, like what? she was uh, she started like posing naked on like weed and titties monthly or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And she just looks like your mom in a, in a negligee. And it's really awkward. So, you know, Heather Langenkamp like, is like straight out of a John Hughes movie. Absolutely. She absolutely is the girl next door. And that's why she's perfect for this role. Um, but anyways, I digress. Yes, here we have a fresh-faced, new to the silver screen, right out of the box, right off the assembly line. There's our dude, and man, Johnny, things were so fresh. Dick, Dap. pre pre uh, Jack Sparrow, aka Steven Tyler, scarf wearing eyeliner, aka your aunt at the Wednesday uh, uh, <laughs> karaoke night. Fuck. Fucking grizzled wife beating dickhead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There jo- he is. Johnny fucking Depp and uh Friday the thirteenth produced Kevin Bacon. Halloween's the only one to have not produced some fucking A-lister. Yeah, that's true. I guess you're right. There's no there's no stud A-lister from that series from that, that time. Hmm. That's interesting. Makes you but yeah, <laughs> really makes you think. So we got him. We got a, a Lynn Shay there. Apparently, she's, she's in my good. A young as fuck looking babely as shit. <laughs> Lynn Shay as the teacher serves as a reminder also that she's just been in every horror movie since the beginning of horror. Apparently, like just give just her learn. the Midnight Flicks Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah, she's up there with Dick Miller at this point because she's just like except she's still banging him out. <laughs> she's straight. She's straight lurking. You know, Belinche, I'll hand it to her for to the end of time. My favorite role she's ever played is in Kingpin. Yeah, it did, not just not just horror. You're right. Um, she did branch out, but yeah, obviously uh, that's an iconic performance as well. The the disgusting landlady performance in Kingpin is man queen. All she's the way. great. We got to get her on the pod. I feel like that's maybe attainable. I don't know. Maybe it's not. That's probably attainable. 
I know we talk about that all the time. We get her on here, and then we just want to talk about Critters 2, the main course. <laughs> yeah. For Kingpin. <laughs> and then make hours. her really awkward about like, hey, man, can you on the mic do the the, the vag tongue <laughs> thing that you do? And Kingpin, like, just... <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, yeah. I'm really trying to push, you know, this third remake of The Grudge. And we're like, no, 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 no. So when you were in Critters 2, the main course... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> So let's go down the list here. Um, so we got a couple other ones I want to I want to mention. We've got Charles Fleischer as the Dream Analyst, aka the voice of Roger Rabbit. There oh, he is. Wow. Okay, did not know that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's our that's that's Charles right there. Please, Eddie, Doctor King. Yeah, that's him. And then of course we would be remiss without mentioning uh, John Saxon. Yeah, and I'm about to say. and. And uh, Ronnie Blakely as two of the worst fucking parent, the parent duos. Oh, we'll get to that in a yeah. movie of all time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, John Saxon, of course, uh, that fucking hunk of meat. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking hunk of dick. And I just mean, I don't mean he's a dickhead. He's like, just got a giant fucking penis. You, you know that that he he was so walking on some big dick energy that dude that's a, had a sh- that's a tripod energy just <laughs> walking around like that certified uh, tripod yeah so we've got all that those are all pretty good i would what put a- it, uh, not to step on our bad dick um johnny depp is the worst performance in this i feel like like i don't feel like he's really knocking it out of the park here yeah he's just kind of plain plain yogurt kind of jock dude yeah like i really you like know. um uh, uh the guy who plays rod nikki uh nick cory i like i think that's a really good performance yeah rod's great i mean he's a fucking idiot dickhead as a i think he's character. got more to work with so i guess i mean i yeah that makes sense yeah for sure so we got all that what else do you have in some of your goods there's a couple little little things here and there conceptually you know from from craven's brain to screen just this idea of the glove it's so iconic and 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 gnarly and it's such a great weapon <laughs> like it's basically like a pair of yeah. hand like gardening very, shears or whatever the fuck were you very efficient and that's the whole, that's the whole point <laughs> Was I? I? Did it sound my, like I was choking? I did have you on my screen, and I just heard. <clears throat> and I was like, "Are you?" Oh no! You. Oh, well, maybe buddy. we're getting some. Uh, <laughs> maybe we're getting some weird sort of. I don't know. Signal from a choking person. I thought John Saxon walked into the room penis first. Oh man! And then just uh, yeah, just I, I had my mouth open as I was talking. I just went. Yeah. Eh. Uh, John, we told you to knock. <laughs> Keeps happening. Um, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, <laughs> yeah, and as far as just other, I guess, metaphysical or philosophical ways to think about this, you know, throughout the movie, I feel like they streamline this a bit come Nightmare on Elm Street 3, but there is this constant blurring of what is real and what is a dream in here. You keep switching yeah, back and the forth. Ending. The ending is almost purposefully, like, blurry. 
Yeah, because like, what you have. Right, right. And then, of course, it opens it up for him coming back. Yada, yada, etc. But also. You know, like in the first two. Do you think he was setting this up? Do you think he was like, this will be like a I don't think he you, he would have guessed what it would become. But do you think he was setting this up for multiple movies? Like usually d- directors don't think like that. Like, no, I don't think so, because this was at the beginning of the slasher boom and the sequel sort of thing hadn't really fully kicked in. And it's not like he had any movie prior to this where he set it up like that. It was just mm-hmm. a phenomenon of the 80s where the bad guy, um, mega mega bad guy villain thing never goes took away. Hold, took hold and all these studios saw the dollar signs, especially New Line, because the little thing about New Line is they were a floundering kind of studio distribution company up to this point and uh, nightmare on elm street one and two were the movies that really injected uh the life into them to be a major player yeah horror notoriously saved new line and horror has notoriously saved lots of production companies along the way but very infamously saved new line saved their ass yeah so but so yeah, I'm not saying it intentionally sets he intentionally set it up to be that way, but it is set up to be open-ended to interpret you know how what happened. And there's a lot of things in, throughout the movie that are like that as you know, in 1 and 2, in 2 there's a little bit more I guess of a quote-unquote reasonable explanation for this, but in 1 you see the deaths happening in the real world as in the waking world. When you get to three, just to kind of, you know, give a little foreshadowing, the deaths aren't happening so much in the real waking world. They're happening completely in the dream world, but they're affecting like the way the victims interact with people in the real world. But you don't see like any damage being done, essentially. So there's like a change in how, you know, the deaths are interpreted, essentially, between the different reality, the different worlds or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. Which is something I never really thought about until going back and watching this time. I'm just like, Oh, well, especially yeah. the second one. Um, yeah. I, uh, once you segue into the second one, it, they're um, diametrically opposed in terms of uh, where the killing field is. Like it, it moves um, into reality yeah. in the second one. But yeah, I, I, I like the, this idea is presented in a lot of horror movies, um, and I like it a lot. Child's Play is the only example that I can think of off the top of my head. But a main character uh, is privy to some knowledge that nobody else is is in on and is made to feel crazy for knowing that something. Um, yeah. So Heather Langenkamp is made to feel fucking nuts for chasing after this dream killer, just like in Child's Play, Andy Barkley is the only one who knows that right. Chucky is fucking real, and it's passed off as like a, a little a little boy's fantasies. So, I, but I love that dynamic of like you want to shake these these fucking parents and, and be like, God damn it! Like somebody believe these motherfuckers. But yeah, I love that in a horror movie. Yeah. 
some other things I wanted to say real quick before maybe we move on. Um, I do really like the sound design of this movie, and it's something I've been thinking about more and more recently, just related to things I've been doing in my own free time. Sound design for this is really great, where you have these layers of different things happening, like in the boiler room, you know, screams and baby cries and, you know, the voices of children, all these things being layered and textured behind to kind of, again, act as a subconscious trigger to the viewer. And there's obviously a lot of symbolism going on throughout the movie. There's the lamb running through the hallway. The boiler room is clearly a symbol for hell because we don't really know, like, is Freddy a demon? Is he just an apparition? What exactly is Freddy at this point? You know, he has his own kind of hellish domain that he is able to tend in the dream world or in some other plane that he brings his victims into through the apparatus of dreaming. Mm-hmm. So there's that as well. Um, I like the little nods to other horror movies. Evil there's, Dead's in there, right? There's there's Evil Dead on the TV, but I really feel like the Dream Lab sequence is hearkening to The Exorcist in certain ways. No. In, ter- in terms of like just the clinical like analysis of somebody that you know, uh, giving him uh, a misdiagnosis of what's going on with the person and then them, you know, reacting kind of violently to that, you know, them being necessary treatment, <laughs> right. Being put under the, the microscope like that and yeah. treated like lab rats to just be misdiagnosed for what they're going through because no one believes them. So. Anything else you want to rattle off? I think that's it. I think I'll end it on this. I like that he named it after his childhood bully, Fred Krueger. <laughs> I did want to mention that. Yeah. Well, and that's funny because this is kind of um, a, de- a development that he had been working on throughout his career because in Last House on the Left, yeah, the Krug. main bad guy is Krug. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just like this bully that's existed in his subconscious I that love he's that de- somewhere there's because that can't be a, that common of a name, but somewhere there's a Fred Krueger that's like, God damn it. Now my name is synonymous <laughs> with child murderer. Uh, yeah. You know, I feel like a lot of the people that have been named Adolf Hitler throughout history have been really peeved about that. God damn it's it. Ma. Kind of <laughs> it's like a to. boy named Sue. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, well, well, I did want to. Me- well, I did want to mention one other thing real quick. That okay. I think another recurring theme with with Craven, with this and Last House on the Left, um, and even um, The Hills Have Eyes is he definitely and People Under the Stairs. Whatever, it's through all of this. He definitely likes to discuss this idea of suburban normalcy and the suburban white family being disrupted by this terror yeah this 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 malevolence this monstrosity or whatever be it like a real actual world scenario that could happen aka last house on the left and then it working up to this with the hills have eyes you have the vacationing family that gets trapped by these 
mutants in the hills. Yeah. Tortured. And then, you know, so that's another theme that he kind of plays with in people under the stairs. You have what's considered like, I mean, they're obviously crazy and weird, but they're like, you know, the wealthy, you know, gentrification kind of, uh, (laughs) yeah. Right. So anyways, that's another thing that I feel like he kind of talks about with this is, you know, every, all seems well in suburban white America, but underneath, and in people's uh, subconsciousness and dreams underbelly right because yeah you have the the vigilante parents that all decided to gang up and murder because that you know again that plays with this idea of, of morality who's on the right side of morality here you know who is judge and jury you know fred krueger by all you know means he was you know he was let off like he's a free man so, but, you know, we have the vigilante parents that decide that they're going to be the ones to make the final judgment on, you know, what happens to him. So. True. I do like that. Uh, he, yeah, he kind of rides that out almost uh, throughout his whole career. Yeah. But it's cool to see it manifest in, in, in different facets, for sure. Yep. Okay. Bad. Um. We talk, talked about it, but we, well, we mentioned it, so we can talk about it. Uh, Nancy has the worst parents of any movie ever. <laughs> awful. March is awful. I mean, there's a lot of bad. There's a lot. Of, I mean, everyone that we meet, as far as parents go in this movie, are bad parents to, to some degree. Uh, from the jump, we've got... Um, we've got fucking... Um, <laughs> Tina's parents, Tina's mom, Tina's alky hillbilly mom, who comes in like in the middle of getting fucking railed by this schlub, this, you know, fat fucking schlub that she's getting dogged out by <laughs> to check in on her screaming daughter. And then what does she have as like uh, a way to respond? Well, you know, either you got cut your nails, you got to stop that dreaming. You fucking that, I'm trying to fucking here. Trying to fuck, and then that, like that that fucking goblin man comes up. Hey, <laughs> you can come back. You can come back to the sack. We're gonna get back to get back to fucking. She's gotta stop so, screaming yeah. or join us. Right, exactly. Two choices. <laughs> so we got but that. even even with that, even with Tina, it's almost like Nancy's parents stand out because she's got like like. Tina only has the shitty mom. Nancy has a shitty mom and dad. So it really compounds the issue. Like dad being a cop for a dad. Yeah. A classic overworked overworked (laughs) cop who's abandoned his family seemingly. Right. Uh, And mom is also an alcoholic with a, a really unique inability to troubleshoot any sort of rational capacity like, like right. she goes from her daughter's having like night terrors to to experimental sleep study like real quickly it's fucking wild yeah yeah like they're just not good parents and then we've got glenn's parents who are just just rash and judgmental her weird like greasy like almost mafioso or Glenn's mafioso looking kind of dad. Yeah. It's just judging Nancy from across the street. 
Yeah. It, well, and that's, that speaks to your, like this, this, uh, suburban nightmare issue. Like, you know, people are still like looking out their fucking windows at their neighbors in distrust and pretending there's some sort of like mock-up neighborhood watch kind of fucking thing. <laughs> that's all in play here. Yeah. So definitely that's, that's what we have. Um, what uh, go ahead and tell me what else you got here because i have some stuff that's like rides the line of bad and questionable so yeah it was hard you know if i couldn't formulate it into a question well uh one bad because i am sure both of us struggled to think of something bad about the actual technical application of the movie but i i think nancy's mom getting pulled through the little window in the front door right at the end is legit just an inflatable like sex doll with a dress on it it's so fucking stupid and bad (laughs) yeah so we do have some instances there of uh practical effects that at the time clearly were not dialed in for the screen that one just particularly just doesn't work yeah there's that there's the other one that uh i mentioned was the fat fire freddy <laughs> what was that? Fat Fire Freddy, because you clearly see the stunt man. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Freddy gained like 50 to 60 pounds from when he was, you know, prior to being set on fire. Because he's got like 16 layers of Kevlar. I know. Fat Fire Freddy is my That's what you're right, though. Like, when you're using yeah. practical effects, you can't just CGI somebody being on fire. It's like, all right. No, you actually uh, have to set a motherfucker on fire. Yeah. Hey, Morris, get your 10 layers of Kevlar on. We got, like, we got to send you running up the stairs on fire. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. I love it. Uh, uh, we have what I I don't even know at this point. We have cops doing their job badly. Part three hundred fifty six point whatever. Yeah, whatever episode this is, it's it's uh, that <laughs> number of cops performing poorly. Yeah, just totally fucking it up, bungling it, completely being clueless. Keystone cop motherfuckers all over, just. Not Rod being dies to, like in their hand, like Rod is, that his death is on their hands, really. Yeah, not being able to read the room at all with this shit. <laughs> like it's and you know I I know like with certain movies, maybe even most, that's completely intentional. You're trying to just portray the cops as being just clueless, bumbling idiots. They had the one cop out in the front yard at Glenn's house while Nancy's just screaming and shrieking for help and. <laughs> cops like well i don't know maybe i should get help or i don't know yeah it looks like maybe i I could do nothing i could just sit here and fucking play tiddlywinks out in the yard with my butthole (laughs) or i could help the captain's daughter that's screaming her lungs out anal tiddlywinks we got a party now (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah so it's there's definitely those. I feel like there's another practical effects. I mean, as much as I love the, the tongue phone thing, like that's one where it's just like clearly real, real fucking fake. Um, I love it though. That, that doesn't bother me as much as the, the no. doll at the end. Yeah, no, but it, cause it's so good. Like I love that part, but it's definitely, yeah. Noticeable. Um, one big bad for me. And I don't know, like, I feel like they really could have done something about this. So, and this is something that is recurring, at least into the second one. 
this is supposed to take place in Ohio. I know. I I <laughs> and there's clearly palm trees. In, I don't. I, I'm I'm assuming you've been to Ohio. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to Ohio many times. Not once, unless it's completely synthetically transplanted. Never seen a motherfucking palm tree. Well, neither one of us has been to Miami of Ohio. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe Southern Ohio. That's like where this. all the palm trees are just in <laughs> Miami of Ohio. So, Springwood. Yeah, yeah, is- at least Halloween does a good job of making me feel like right. we're in Haddonfield. Yeah. Uh, and that was all shot in California. So, I don't know. Yeah. They could have done a better job with, you know, doing the the geography correctly. That's a good bad. Um, what else? Do you got any others? I don't really have any because most of them, most of the rest of them are questions. Yeah, there's a lot of questions. I did want to say another thing too. just another quick jump back to the good. I like in this movie that with Freddie's voice, they really laid in on the delay and the reverb to give his voice that menacing spectral aspect. Yeah, like out of time. <laughs> yeah. So that's cool. Anyways, so sorry to sorry to jump back a little bit, but yes, no, that's good. We uh, we have wrapped up good and bad, correct? Yeah. So let's move on to questions. Questionable. Um, I did not know this. I had to look it up. Rod tells Nancy uh, when you know she's made him out to feel like he's fucking crazy. He says, "Don't look, don't look at me like I'm a fruitcake." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I had to look it up. I was like, "What the fuck is going on here?" Fruitcake does mean someone who's crazy. So I learned something new uh, there. I did not know really? that. Yeah, you've never heard in- that before. You've never heard that as being a, a colloquialism. No, I. You know, usually when people are <laughs> crazy, I'm not like, you know, hey, queer, get over it. <laughs> hey, homo. <laughs> Hey, you crazy homo. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Yeah, you've never heard like nuttier than a fruitcake. Well, now that you say it, yes. Well, that's what I mean. Then how did you not know in the context of him saying? In the context of it, he's just like, hey, don't call me a fruitcake. Like, it just, yeah. I, I don't well, know. I watched it way too much Sopranos. I was, I was just going to say, hey, Gabadoo. Hey, forget about it. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like him, because he's, he's a Latin guy that's saying it. It sounds like he's probably saying, like, you know, don't call me a mm. faggot. Yeah, you know, don't look at me like I'm a weird homo because of this. Yeah, I got you, but no, that's nuttier than a fruitcake. Fruitcake. Warning you. I do. That reminds me, though. I do like the part in the beginning where they're going to school, and Rod comes up to them, and um, what's like the joke Tina makes, like. You know, something about like, hey, you know, I got something with, you know, Tina's name on it. And Tina's like, my my name's got four letters, Rod. It's not going to fit on your joint or whatever. It's <laughs> <laughs> yours with a twirling lawnmower or whatever that's supposed to mean. So Rod's all over the fucking, goddamn place here. Tina, Tina, Tina straight smokes Rod on 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 the the roast and then rod comes back with like the weakest ass like comeback yeah he's just like (laughs) it's so bad fucking bad 
Tina has her, yeah. his fucking balls in her purse. <laughs> she really does. Rightfully. Rightfully so. Um, well, which which makes me think of another potential bad questionable. Here we have, because Tina's 15, and whatever, I mean, people have sex at 15. I know I was. But, <laughs> man, they are really like, they are fucking... For 15-year-olds, like, Rod's probably, like, 16 or 17. He looks like he probably, he got held back a couple grades, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. But Tina is supposed to be 15 years old, and she is just getting fucking nailed by this dude upstairs. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's shocking, I think, only in, like... I don't know. I feel like in retrospect, we're like, damn, that feels young. But then like I have a stepson now who's like 15, almost 16. And it's like, I don't know. That's like a fucking normal thing that. No, I, guess- I know. Like, obviously, this is. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tale as old as time. But it is funny when it is portrayed in movies like, you know, again, it, it's in, and in the 80s, clearly with, with all these movies, the sexualization of young women to the point where it's like, Oh, <laughs> so it's like, you know, it happens, you know, it's a thing. But then when you see it in certain ways, you're just like, but also that's kind of weird. A titty? Did it was Tina? That was like a side titty. So I don't <laughs> think we see any t- side titty. Titty litigation. Finally, we but, got to the, the titty litigation part of the podcast. Right. But believe it or not, we do see a little bit of Heather Langenkamp titty. Ah, see, I don't, that this all makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, when she gets pulled down, because we didn't make any mention to when she gets pulled into the bathtub. Oh, the bathtub scene. The, yeah, we we didn't even mention the. That's a classic, classic the iconic scene. scene. But yeah, yeah. you can see it's too boob, much good boob. here. It's a bloated. It's the. It's five pounds of good, or ten pounds of good in a five pound bag. It's too much. Can't yeah. cover everything. So, anyways, all right, carry on. Uh, Nancy's mom fancies herself an expert in bathtub related deaths, apparently, because Heather is <laughs> yeah, yeah, taking a bath and she says, don't fall asleep in there. You could drown. Uh, it happens all the time, you know, and then she doubles down on it after the fact. It's like, I told you hundreds of people die each year. Um, hundreds. <laughs> I know. I, I Marge just pulls this statistic out of her ass. Oh, that's good. <laughs> hundreds of people dying. <laughs> Due to bathtub related drownings. <laughs> All right, it's such a that's such a like uh, Xanax dr- drunk mom fucking thing to do. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. like Marge clearly gives the impression that she's not only a drunk, but she's like on some benzos or some shit. Well, yeah, because Marge is basically like, if you were as fucking pilled out as I was right now, I would be in a bathtub. <laughs> You'd be careful. <laughs> When you're pumping as many benzos as I am on a Wednesday, I wouldn't take a bath. Yeah, She's speaking so. from, like, fear of herself. <laughs> right. Yeah, for Nancy sure. Nancy says, uh, God, I look 20 years old. When, in mm. fact, I looked it up, Heather Lingenkamp was exactly 20 years old when this came out. So that's fucking yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Funny. Probably not 20 when she was making it. 20 in 1984. So if this was made a year prior or whatever, she was 18 or yeah. 19. But but still right. funny. Funny in context. Mm-hmm. Um, Nancy says she's been awake for seven days and says, don't worry, the record is 11 days. I checked, so I looked it up. Randy Gardner stayed awake for 11 days, 25 minutes. It's still the record. That's a long time to stay awake. That is. 
I and, don't know why he then, fucking did it. And, and he then did Randy Gardner. I was going to say, and then also Randy Gardner also holds the record for murdering the most people on a, having no sleep in 11 <laughs> I hours. Can't imagine. I don't, I don't know what Randy Gardner is doing today. Probably he's definitely six feet under. This is a long time ago, but yeah, that's a weird thing to put yourself through for no reason. To be a cliff Excel? note in like the fucking Ripley's Believe It or Not, like that's weird. Yeah. Well, it's like the guy that um, I, I like to pull this um story out sometimes that there's the guy that holds the Guinness world record for eating like a plane and it was actually a thing this guy actually ate a plane he had like pica or something where he could what just do you mean eat. he ate a plane he ate a plane he would like, like take parts of a plane and he would a plane. Somehow, yes like a flying device a flying vehicle a plane like a passenger plane yes it was a french guy look it up he has the world record for eating the most fucked up things he ate all kinds of weird things he actually he ate metal well i know pika's fucked up uh you know i know you're eating like lug nuts and shit but you know yeah well that's what this conceptualize uh plane he did it for charity so good for him well, I should just self-diagnose myself as having pica if if dick was considered weird. Just eat that on the side all the time. <laughs> all right, Rod. Hey, hey, we gonna be a fruitcake? <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> to what? Do you have any more questions? Oh, I thought you were gonna hit me with some more. I was looking something up about. Uh, the when guy I, who ate the plane? When I made the dick joke. No, I was looking up Randy Gardner stuff. I don't have any more questions. Go ahead. You don't have any? I, I made the Pika dick joke to buy myself time while I was looking up Randy Gardner. It didn't go anywhere. I don't have any. No, I have no more questions. The okay. defense uh, rests. <laughs> I have questions. So Nancy sets up, you know, the house full of booby traps. What would happen? I, now, clearly her mom is just wasted at this point. So, but what <laughs> if her mom woke up during all this and then runs into that tripwire and just gets walloped <laughs> by a sledgehammer? <laughs> You know, well, um, I'm glad, you know, we're in the spooky season, but we're still continuing the George Thorogood fake, uh, <laughs> fake track list of fistful of benzos in a booby trap kitchen. <laughs> uh, oh, That's man. a good question, though. I don't. <laughs> George, you, <laughs> you win. <laughs> I don't know if you're a genius or you're insane. These songs George. are becoming a, a little too <laughs> life imitating art here. Um, yeah, no, that's a good question. I she had at that point she was Nancy was like I don't give a fuck who I have to kill <laughs> to get this plan. <laughs> I will kill fucking, my my shitty dark mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. Okay, what else? What other questions did you have? I did think it was. I guess it's not that weird because if you were implicated in murdering somebody, you would want to hide the evidence. But I did think it's interesting that Nancy's mom has kept Freddie's glove stored in the <laughs> furnace this whole time. Yeah. How macabre and and just like. 
Yeah, in, in some ways, the parents are almost more fucked up than that's than Freddy. That's the right. That's the whole point. I feel like that. I think that that's what Craven was trying to make. It's like, all right, who's really the the maniacs here? I don't know. If if everybody if everybody in 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 Des Plaines decided to <laughs> fucking kill John Wayne Gacy, I don't think we'd think anything of it. Like any in terms of like. Yeah. yeah, some sort of weird vigilante mob justice. But in the context of this film, yeah, it's fucking wackadoo as shit to have the, the glove there down. Eh. <laughs> That's very strange. So I have another question regarding Marge. Maybe you can answer this because I'm not a drinker, although I do work in bars. So I actually have a wealth of knowledge related to alcoholic beverages that I shouldn't uh, for being a, a sober person. The fuck is she drinking? What is I, that? Fr- I literally, frosted I literally paused the screen multiple times. Could not tell. I, I can't I, figure it out. I paused the screen like on several different occasions to try to get an angle on it. The only thing you would put in the freezer, I mean, I guess like a th- just a handle of vodka like, or whatever, but like. Right, it looks like an absolute bottle. Like, what is this? Some sort of like a, a rumple mints sort of I thought, thing. I thought rumple mints, but rumple mints has the very like Nazi yes. Germany look. Nazi, it's very, <laughs> very Germanic looking. No, I know we have a bottle. Everything outside of the swastika on the the fucking <laughs> rumple mints bottle. Yeah, I yeah, it, it's it's very. <laughs> Germanic. It's very strange. <laughs> um, I mean, and they did use the they did use the gold they stole from the Jews. So <laughs> to put in that bottle. It's a, yeah, it's a, I, I don't know. I say, and it's strange that Rumpelmintz's slogan is "Say Sieg Heil to your fucking sobriety." <laughs> <laughs> that was a strange choice, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a little tone deaf. <laughs> yeah, I still write it down uh, for Rimple Mints, though. That reminds me of I found I saw this meme today. This is a real ad, apparently. It was a VW ad that was put in Top Gear magazine, and it's got the Volkswagen logo under it, and it says, <laughs> "From Berlin to Warsaw in a tank." <laughs> And it was like a real ad. What the fuck, man? <laughs> this is wild. What the fuck is going on in the world? I like the I like the ad the, the marketing team there at Volkswagen. It's like they clearly have a sense of humor still. <laughs> still making jokes. Rubbing it wow. on our faces. Okay. Um Yeah, so okay, so I have a question as far as Oh, this is also bad. Duh. Why did I, I totally overlook? Sorry, but that ending is all right. If you take into account the idea that, you know, it's all been a dream or whatever, what they're trying to imply with the, the very final ending, the way that Freddie is dispatched, and this is also a recurring thing that I have a problem with is that's a cop out. And you guys bitched about this on the mermaid in the manhole episode with that ending i feel like this is an equivalent this is in the same sort of like category of really that's how you get him is this you just talk mean to him you just you, you just you're just mean to him and then you turn your back and then he dies 
Now, here's my thing. So if you really want to kill Freddy, you can pull him into the real world. And he's clearly he is affected physically. He's vulnerable. Just kill the motherfucker. Just blow him up. This is also like, obviously, this is a this is a uh, solution to dealing with many bad baddies, big baddies in these movies. But only Nancy is on board. That's the problem. She doesn't have enough fucking help here. Yeah. No one believes her. She can't do this shit by herself. I actually, I, you know, uh, I didn't want to say this, but I, I actually don't really understand the fucking, <laughs> I don't understand the ending. I think it's fine. Like I, I like it. I think it's cool, but I think it's kind of too, it, it, it flip flops between is this reality or is this a dream? Right. Too many goddamn times to the point where I'm like, I don't think I even really understand what happened here. I, I, sure. I really don't. <laughs> sure. So anyways, that was that's my whole thing. I think the ending is a little bit of a cop out, but whatever. So. They flipped. They, they just did it like one too many times to the point where. But I think they purposely wanted to have the viewer feel like they didn't know whether or not what transpired was real. I guess. Yeah. Or a dream, sure. like you said. So, I mean, I give. I guess it's effective, but also, like, I shouldn't be left wondering what the fuck happened. <laughs> Especially if I, if we don't get nine sequels out of this fucking thing. Uh, you know, if it's a standalone movie, strange ending. Yeah. And then finally, I want to say, I can't tell whether I think that outro song, it, it hits or it it doesn't. What is it's- it? That where it's you know it's like this docking fucking knockoff band going. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. I'm trying to look up. To look up. It's like some what? really obscure group that apparently just did this one thing. Oh, weird. Can't remember who um, the fuck it was. I think it was so like forgettable to me that I don't even it didn't even register on you my fucking, <laughs> on my radar. Right, it's so forgettable that you didn't so remember. where are you at with it? Does it rip or does it suck? Nah, it's kind of in the middle. I think it, it rips just by the fact that it's so bad. It's one of those type of scenarios. Please, God. This is God. Pat's headphones are fucking pieces of shit, and he had to <laughs> fix the situation, so we had to take a little TV timeout. Um, we ended on talking about that piece of shit song, uh, and so now we're going to move into talking about Nightmare on Elm Street 2, uh, the gay for Freddy one. Man, we're, we're get- really limping into this second half of this segment, <laughs> so um, a perfect time yeah. as any. Go ahead. Right. We've already established we're gay for Freddy with the first one. So now we're really, really going to lean into that. We're going to double down on it with Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. And yeah, let's just go 
go for it. There it is. So we'll uh, take a we'll take a short break, and we'll be back in the second half with Nightmare on Elm Street Two. Yeah, I got to go get my S and M gear on my um my harness. It's gonna be hard to record with a ball gag, but I'm willing to take one for the team. <laughs> Our harnesses, ball gags, and leather pants. Our assless chaps. Here we go. Someone is coming back to Elm Street. He is not friendly. He is not patient. Kill for me. And he is not a welcome visitor. No! 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 But he has something terribly special for the new kid on the block. It started to happen again. Dad! In trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! Daddy can't help you now. There's something inside him. Fight him! You are not afraid of him. He doesn't even exist. Freddy Krueger is back on Elm Street. Get out of here, Lisa! Jesse, fight him! Watch out for him. He'll be in your neighborhood soon. Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2. You are all my children now. Freddy's Revenge. (laughs) Okay, we're back. Just like that. So, for those of you that stuck around this long, now we're going to go into the wild and wacky Freddy's Revenge, which came out a, a year. They just banged it out, man. Came out a year after the yeah. first one. Yeah. 1985. And yeah, this had established that, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise was going to be a force to be reckoned with. We don't have uh, Wes Craven at the helm anymore. We have Jack Shoulder. Good old Jack <laughs> Shoulder. <laughs> Who actually was known for some. I think he also did Alone in the Dark, which was. The first movie that New Line put out, which I actually enjoy quite a bit. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a weird no, little movie. I haven't. Okay. I see that Donald Pleasant is in it. Right. And we talked about it on our very, this harkens back to our very, very first episode because the guy who plays whatever the fucking Christmas tree ornament fucking mm. dickhead in Running Man. Oh, yeah. The, ball, the, dick, dickless the, the one. operatic one. Yes. Yes, that guy. He is in Alone in the Dark. And it was one of his the very few roles he'd been in. Aside I do remember from, this. From being, so we should do like the Wayne's World like, doodaloo, 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 and then right. you can edit in that conversation. Don't do that. That would be awful. <laughs> yes. So there's that guy. Anyways, so Jack Shoulder, he's man. He's manning the, the gears. Craven doesn't get back in the seat of this bitch until uh, New Nightmare. So it's everybody well, else's party here. Sure. In th- I mean, technically, he was on board for three. He did have writing credits that weren't related to like production writing credits. They weren't just related to the original story and script, I think, for three. Gotcha. And but it, he's not and, and, directorially involved. No. And it's kind of like with a lot of these, you know, sort of vehicles where um the the director of the first successful rendition of it comes back 
to kind of inject some new life. Yeah, into, James Wan does that with with his right. shit a lot. Carpenter yeah. did it. Yeah. So obviously that's a thing. So anyways, so there we go. Uh, Heather Langenkamp was not brought back, which was a shame, but whatever. We get her in three. So um, Robert Unglin briefly was not going to play the role of Freddy, but then uh, Jack Shea or whoever the, the guy at New Line, he was like, oh, I realized I fucked up and he brought him back because Robert Unglin was asking for a pay hike. They didn't want to they didn't want to dane him that and they had some am other I, dude. Am I losing my mind? Are, are Am I pronouncing? Is it not Robert England? It's probably England. I've always pronounced it England. England, whatever. Potato, potato. I didn't. I didn't know if I, I've been fucking doing it wrong my whole life. Maybe, I, I'm probably doing it wrong. It's one of those things where I, I found out that I've been calling a co-worker uh, Alicia for like weeks now <laughs> last night and it's Alicia. <laughs> What's so, her name? It's Alicia, but I was calling her Alicia. Uh, well, you, can't, you can take the boy out of Fort Wayne. We can't take the Fort Wayne out of the boy. <laughs> Anyways, so we got Robert Unglin. We got new boy Mark Patton, who apparently was in a Robert Altman movie before this and was kind of potentially a rising star until he was in this and it tanked his, <laughs> it tanked his career. And then we've got uh, Wish.com. Meryl Streep, Kim Myers, mm-hmm. and sure then do. we've then we've got the dude who plays Coach Schneider, who we'll get into, um, and then we've got the dude who plays um, Jesse's dad, who we'll get into more. I will at least in this cast, and then we got the dude that plays Grady, who I want to talk to talk about as well. Uh, anyways, so unless you got anything else, I wanted to say that this movie was also a a um, through the roof success. This proved, without any doubt, that this was a, a viable franchise. It budgeted three million, grossed thirty million, but was met met with um, mixed critical reviews, nonetheless. But a financial success, maybe not a critical success, but a financial success. So interesting, yeah. I didn't know it, it had done that. That's well. all I got so to say about any off the top shit. I mean, with yeah, the yeah, dancing no, it did the... actually did really well. Well, go go ahead. No, no, that was it. That's all I wanted to say. Oh, uh, we've been dancing around the issue here. I mean, I, obviously, we we should mention that they the filmmakers swear up and down they had no intention of making this homoerotic, but it stands to be the most homoerotic, unintentionally homoerotic horror movie ever made like it's glaringly homoerotic <laughs> and it's the it's the thing that people walk away from this film like everyone references this one as being the gay one quote unquote the fruitcake one <laughs> freddy fruitcake as it <laughs> rod rod would call this the fruitcake one the fruitcake one yeah he'd be like hey get that fucking <laughs> sequel away from me that fruitcake fucking sequel i don't want it anywhere near me uh, Rod, do you think the sequel is crazy? <laughs> I'm warning you. <laughs> but yeah, like- it's uh, it's stunning uh, upon rewatch. Almost every rewatch I have with it, it's like, how was there just not even a modicum of <laughs> of like a, a perception that this was how this would be received? 
um, especially with a closeted uh, main star in it, which I think is for something they didn't know at the time with Mark Patton. Um, So just a lot of really weird shit going on in this movie. It's still super fun, but yeah, uh, just unintentionally homoerotic. Very much so. And I think that those are the most fun parts, honestly. So I actually have a a few things to say about all you just said that will completely dash all of that commentary to the rocks. Oh, my God. Because here's the thing. It wasn't unintentional. It actually. So for years, the people involved in making this movie, with the exception of the director, so the production studio end of it. Yes, they had denied up and down. No, wasn't supposed to be gay. Didn't have that intent. The screenwriter also. But when in actuality, they did, they came clean and they're like, yes, we actually meant for all of that. And we were actually playing into the idea that Mark Patton was gay to inject within this movie um, this fear amongst a male teen audience of being gay. So they were actually totally on board with all that subtext. That actually was a thing. But why, (laughs) why deny it at all ever? Because it was the eighties because it's the eighties and nineties and because of homophobia, they just, I know it's like, like you look at it now and it's like, Oh, duh. But no, they were, they, they were trying to create it as all subtext that, they could completely, you know, put their hands up and walk away from it and be like, nope, nope, we didn't do that. No, what are you talking about? And yeah, it was like 2010, even. They, like, the screenwriter, I think, said, oh, yeah, yeah, I totally meant it to be gay. (laughs) So there you go. All that stuff in there is totally intentional. Now, here's what's the wild thing is Mark, being the gay cast member, completely did not read into it as being gay because he's gay. So he's probably like, well, this is normal, like for me, you know, so they didn't know he was gay at the time. It sounds like he was. No, they they, they did. No, they did. They did. They knew he was gay. (laughs) He just hadn't fully come out. So how did they how well, how does a production crew know someone's gay before they know? (laughs) No, like they, he just hadn't like publicly. Like, I think like it was known within inner circles. That's all. I know that he was trying to keep it, you know, he was trying to keep it under under wraps because he wanted, he didn't want to tank his career. He said that he's like, I I didn't want it to affect my career. And what happened was because of the stress of dealing with this movie and everything he actually stopped making movies for a long time he became the first and only male scream queen (laughs) right it was trauma it was actually traumatizing for him he said so he became like an he became an interior decorator for a long time well then everyone should be very proud of themselves for denying (laughs) what this movie was for all those years but it's become yeah but it's become it's become iconic because that doesn't it help is, Mark you know, Patton yeah, after the fact. No, Mark Patton. But amongst the, amongst the gay scene, it's been a, it's been reappraised as being you know like this queer cult movie 
because of all of this. So. Well, yes, I'm, I thought we should get all of that out of the way. So that's good. Absolutely. For those of you that didn't know, for those of you that were completely unaware to all the signals, we let you know going into it. So we'll get into John Cameron Mitchell's Nightmare on Elm Street 2. <laughs> so it's funny. I like this movie. I've always liked this movie. It's definitely not a great horror movie by like the standards of the first. But for the, the purposes of us doing this, I actually ha- ha- watched this one three times. And the reason why was because I watched it the first time and I didn't take notes because I was just kind of like getting myself reacquainted with it. Cause I, it hadn't been that long since I've watched it. I swear up and down that my partner and I had seen it together, but she said she didn't see it, but she knew about the whole, the, the, you know, the gay thing about it, about the, the myth about it, because we watched that really long nightmare on Elm street documentary that basically breaks down every movie and they talk about it in there. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well let's, let's watch it together because you say you haven't seen it, even though I'm pretty sure you have. So we watched it together again and I still didn't take notes. So I watched it a third time. So I'm very well acquainted with this movie now. <laughs> I would hope at yeah. this point. I only watched it the once, but it's been a while since I've I've seen it. So, so there you go. Um, that being said, do we want to go right into the good, the bad, and the questionable, or do you have anything let's else on it. top? No. All right, let's get into it. And I want you to go ahead and kick this off because I have to send a, a port an important text. Well, right if you're now. not listening to me, what am I going to do this for? I'm doing both. So just go you're ahead. Not, and you're, you're just like my wife. I'm <laughs> not going to be listening. It's going to be very to, important. I have to do this just in case. But just go ahead. Do your thing. I'm listening. <sighs> not feeling heard. It's the worst. <laughs> the top i would say that uh jesse transforming into freddie um in grady's room where basically freddie does the same thing he does in the first movie where he has his head through the latex above uh heather lincoln's bed but it's in jesse's chest when jesse kind of like fucking uh sheds his jesse skin layer and steps through him it is fucking gnarly maybe like gnarlier than any special effect thing in the first movie it's fucking great it is so gonzo i love it yeah and then you see his eyeball i was in the, the mouth the yeah eyeball in the mouth such, that always stuck with me that's such good shit that whole sequence in in uh in grady's room i i love they really the baton is not it's there's no it's just such a smooth transition with the special effects from the first to the second there's no no glaring drop off like everything they tried in the second one they knocked out of the park 
um, as well. Now, maybe there's yeah. not as many really iconic or, or cool sequences, but I would put the I would put the one where where he's like fucking jumping or stepping through Jesse uh, up there with any of the ones from the first. Oh yeah, it's great. I would also say that that beginning sequence is pretty iconic for me. The uh, the bus driving, drive, yeah, the driving out into the the desert, and then just the bus just teetering there on the precipice there in the middle of that you know that Grand Canyon, yeah, yeah, that hellish like canyon. <laughs> so for we're two we're two for two on just banger openings. Um, yeah. Openings that make you want to at least uh, continue watching. Yeah. We touched upon this in the first one, but like um, conceptually, I think it's just it's super smart gameplay to have Freddy use Jesse as a vessel to enter into their reality. Um, it's just like a concerted effort to d- differentiate this one from the first one. And I appreciated the swerve because it wasn't just it. This feels different, and it's not just a cash grab of new teenagers having new nightmares. It's conceptually completely different. And I love that he's kind of using Jesse as a as a means of entering their reality. There's not there's nary a like people dying in their in their dreams necessarily in this movie. It's Jesse's Bob Jesse being used as a vessel to to kill, which is I think is fucking great. Yeah, absolutely. And and we're like we were talking about with the other one that kind of solves the issue of you know aside from actually physically pulling Freddy into the real world into the non dream world, how can he operate as a as a killer amongst people? Well, yeah. So he's got to possess. He's got to take a vessel. So. And no, no, again, again, with like there's subtext, there's overtness. And then there's just like this idea of, you know, you can't you can't convince me that that's also another layer of the homoerotic quality of this movie of literally Freddy entering Jesse's body. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. No, that totally is implied that he is. Trying to get that dick in, the, in them in. guts. <laughs> Trying to get up in them guts. Yeah, and so ta- in terms of special effects and practical effects and gore, and then once again the implications of the dialogue. There's the famous part where Freddie pulls his scalp back and tells Jesse, "You've got the body, I've got the brain." Is that the Always first Freddie joke? I think it is. That's is definitely not even, the first it's, one. It's like still really like searing and sinister and mean but it's yeah. like we're slowly venturing into joke territory yeah that is definitely it and when i was a kid so the nightmare on elm street series was hands down i've mentioned this on other episodes i think the first notable horror franchise that i really got into and a lot of it was just attributable to the fact that yeah freddie was this character he was this larger than life quotable character so if you're like some shithead hash fucking kid and you want to yuck it up and impress your friends at the time knowing freddie dialogue and being able to rattle it off was a surefire way to do it so the you've got the body i've got the brain line Definitely was one that 
was utilized. That was a zinger that was utilized often. Also, is that a Pet Shop Boys reference? Like, it's, it's, you know, I know it's the 80s. So, <laughs> no. Uh, well, it is. That's funny that you mentioned that because, yes, there is that line from uh, Money that's on my Let's Make Lots of Money. Or you opportunities. Got, you've got, yeah, opportunities. I've got the thing. brains. You've got the looks. Let's make lots of money. Yes. Let's make, which is a banger. That is such a club <laughs> banger. Yeah, it is. It's speaking uh, of gay, at one point, I feel like Depeche gay bangers. Mode, gay ba- gangers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like Depeche Mode may have sweated the idea of Pet Shop Boys kind of venturing into their territory there for a minute. And then Depeche Mode <laughs> just fucking blew them out of the goddamn water and nothing yeah, I mean, mattered. It's it's true, but like those but, early pet shop neck boys, neck, right? Or, yeah, early oh, yeah. on, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, okay, so we got that. Um, why don't you continue with this? And um, I we didn't uh, mention this, but I we have some continuity here. The stay up pills. Spelled S T A dash U P, making a making a second appearance here, and they were in the first one. Um, Yeah, but also some uh, more fake product placement. I love that at uh, breakfast he's he's eating Fu Manchus. (laughs) I know (laughs) that's a great that's a great fake box of cereal. I would love to have that as a as a prop from this movie. Yeah, and just like the the box art, the, the layout and design of the box art is just like this real shitty like um, yeah. zombie <laughs> Fu Manchu low pan looking guy. <laughs> That's good shit. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. So let's see. Oh, of course, there is that wonderful demon towel haunted jump rope scene there with coach Schneider getting dragged into the shower room there and, and having it being disrobed. So pants, pants and waxed and then spanked. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. Okay. So let's, you know, let's walk through that though. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, we can't, right. It it starts off. (laughs) Yes. Real weird, and then just gets weirder. But yes, I go guess ahead. you have to you have to keep reminding yourself that Freddy is controlling this series of events because Jesse kind of just hops out in the middle of the night and goes to the neighborhood daddy leather bar, leather daddy bar, which is which is implied early on by Grady. Yeah, that Grady Schneider frequents. It. Right, right. But you don't know at that point if, if he's just fucking with Jesse, you know, because right. Jesse's the new kid. So he just wants to be like, he just wants to like fuck with him and be like, yeah, Schneider's like a homo dude. And he fucking digs on like, you know, leather daddy bars. So watch out. Right. So it's a high school rumor at that point that, yeah. you know, the, there's no truth to it uh, until he shows up at the bar and, and the coach is there in, in full leather daddy gear. <laughs> Cut but to he, go ahead. But that's where. But that's what I was gonna say. But that's where again, you can't tell what's reality and what's dream. Is Jesse dreaming about all this? Is this a reality? What's going on? We don't know. So, correct. Yeah, and it's there's a lot of like whiplash happening here because you we go straight from what is, does that bar have a name? 
Did they name that bar? <laughs> the, Just nameless. Yeah. Yeah, the demon, the demon towel. I don't know. The, <laughs> That's I don't the name know. Of the bar. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it does. I don't think they say, but it's also like just weird from the get go because let well, I me. Mean, I'm gonna tell you this. I've been to a lot of weird fucking bars. Okay, I've been to a lot of. I've been to like weird places that this is trying to. I've never been to a place like this where everybody's just piled in on top of each other, and you know, there's like no distinction between groups. Throughout this bar, you know what I mean. Too many women in this bar, right? Make a lot of sense. So, what is it? Is it a gay bar? Is it is it an S and M bar? Is it a punk bar? Or is this yeah? Is this just a general weirdo bar? Hard to say. Hard to say. Yeah. But then you you get like a story whiplash because you you (laughs) when the coach catches him at the bar, they cut straight to him making him run laps back at the gym as punishment before telling him to hit the showers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And then, and, and then inevitably being strung up pants and toweled to death. I guess he dies of his toweling. <laughs> no, he, he dies as he gets slashed oh. open by Freddie slash Jesse being possessed by Freddie. That's right. Uh, okay. Right. 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 But we would be, well, I was going to say, we would be remiss if we did not include him being attacked by all of the sports paraphernalia and implements. Lots of balls being tossed at his face. Once again, the subtext there. Yeah. I forgot about, forgot about that. Yeah. And you're, you're right. Cause I had forgotten that. Then they cut to Jesse with the glove on. Mm-hmm. Like a oh no, it happened again. <laughs> <laughs> oh gee whiz, golly gee, ah nuts! And then like the glove is like it's. I love how oversized the glove is for its yeah, hand on him. He's like oh no. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most bizarre sequences in any uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I mean. I, th- I think there is some blurred lines going on, but I, you know, at the end of the day, it's got to be reality. I don't think this is. So who's what are we to think that the coach is dreaming this? But the ending yeah. is definitive enough to make you think that, no, like everything up to that point was real. Like all of yeah. that really fucking happened. And Freddie was using Jesse as a means of luring the coach out and and murdering yeah. him in the safety of the of the gym or whatever. Right. And like, yeah, so Jesse is essentially, he's on autopilot. His, his consciousness of this, of these events is completely turned off. He's just, he's like in a fugue dream state. Right. 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 But no, I I like the sequence. It's just, it's just so, it's so different from anything that we'll see before or after this. Yeah. Um, moving on to other scenes, of course, we have the famous, well, we have the whole pool scenario, the pool, but then up to that point, the pool party, but then you already mentioned like, you know, the death with Grady, Grady being, you know, murdered, uh, in his room, that being a pretty famous one. Well, let's litigate the deaths. We haven't litigated the deaths on the second one yet. Um, 
What are on the you, second what, one? What's your fa- what's your favorite death? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh geez. Okay, what is my favorite death? Um. So we have um, Coach Schneider. Schneid- Schneider's death. Grady's Grady. death. The pool scene. Yeah, no, those are all fairly negligible in terms of like I wouldn't pick one any of those as my favorite. Um, we have the final death during the last bus dream sequence where Lisa's friend gets chest bursted by Freddy. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, in theory, we have the beginning death because it's just implied that everybody in that bus dies. So the big but the big banger deaths would be Schneider, Grady, uh, Schneider, Grady, and then the, the friend at the end, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to go with Schneider. That's my that's right. my favorite. Death. Schneider is the centerpiece. Yes, death for sure, because there isn't really a lot of like individual death scenes. It's a lot of group like they, they, they really tried to like cram it all the deaths all into that pool party scene where just people are getting murked left and right. Yeah, like the dude is sent careening over that, like the charcoal grill and shit. Like none of those are like, <laughs> like who cares? Like, yeah, the, we both agree that Schneider is the is the primo death in two. There's some choice shit going on in that pool scene, though, like particularly <laughs> when the bro is trying to reason with Freddy there, which is yeah, funny. And Freddy just like throws him over the grill and says, help yourself, fucker. That was <laughs> more jokes. Yeah. And another Freddy, Freddy, he has Zinger coming out there. So, yeah. So we've got all that. Um, there's a lot of, yeah, dramatic exposition basically happening in between um, to develop the tension between Jesse and, you know, obviously his love interest. And that's also, oh, okay. Well, then, then there's the, there's the tongue. There's the the makeout scene with the giant tongue. Yeah, it's just kind of a gross out. More Freddy so tongue that. shit. Yeah, more Freddy tongue shit. Um, yeah. So we got all that, and I would say, I don't know if you want to move on to. Do we want to talk about individual like kind of cast members and things like that? Because I was going to do like a rundown of the secondary casts as far as like how I feel about them. Nobody stood out to me as being. You know, memorable or good. Uh, so, um, if you have like standout performances, unlike the first one where I like, you know, I wanted to shout out Lynn Shay or whatever. Um, yeah, but but I do, yeah. So I have shout outs. If like you that. do, yeah, yeah. This oh, is yeah. the time. Oh yeah. See, I uh, I disagree. I think I, I low key like think Grady is like the funniest dude in this movie. He's like the only like real comic relief. <laughs> Grady's pretty good. Yeah. You know, like when he's like talking with his food in his mouth in in the cafeteria. There's that part where he's like, "Oh, this guy's just a basket case." And he's like, "Whatever." Blah, blah, blah. I, Brady, I, I don't know. Brady I, reminded me of rehashing Rod from the first one. Oh yeah, for sure. He's definitely a rehashed Rod. Absolutely, hundred percent. Like the the. But I guess the I hunt. liked Rod, so yeah, I like Grady. Okay, okay. So here's my shout outs then. Um, uh. Clue Gulager or Gulager. That's Bert from Return of the Living Dead. He had he had a yeah. banger eighty-five because he plays Mr. Walsh here. The the doofy nerdy do-it-yourself failure dad. 
Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that that should be shouted out. He does a f- fucking fantastic job. And talk about a talk about a year. Holy moly. Yeah, because he, he's we got Bert and we got Mr. Walsh here. I I, I mean, of the two, I would say I, I personally prefer his role. Yeah, as yeah, because <laughs> Bert's great. But one particular part of this movie that I love a lot as far as just ridiculousness is, of course, the cockatiel exploding, spontaneously combusting. <laughs> but then Mr. Walsh. His uh, rationale is, oh, well, you must have put a cherry bomb in it. You're trying to sabotage <laughs> me. And it's, what? What is, what? Well, so it's anyways, again, parents so jumping to just the most ridiculous conclusion. Bad parenting. Now, granted, the Walshes are definitely not as bad a parents as the Thompsons. No, no. You know, collectively, they've got their shit together more. They're just very, they're just stupid and naive. They're just like completely like, oh, you know. Yeah. And again, that's kind of a, I feel like that's a thematic device that we see here again and again with these type of movies is you just got the clueless suburban white family that just all the signs are there. But you you just want to come up with some completely, you know, unrelated sort of reasoning for why your children are being terrorized and dying. Oh, well, they're just neurotic or they're on drugs. Like, right. Uh, Mr. Walsh says, you know what he needs? He needs a good kick. In the butt. You know what he needs? He needs, he needs a methadone clinic. A yeah, methadone. methadone. <laughs> that boy needs a methadone clinic. I noticed that too. <laughs> so we got that. There's our shout out for clue Gulliger, but also coach Schneider is General Owen from Star- Starship Troopers and Quado from Total Recall. He is. I, I, Starship Troopers is a good call. I didn't, I forgot that. Um, but yeah, he just is Quado to me. <laughs> so there you go. Um, Coach Schneider. Um, so there's a couple little things that are happening there that I feel like didn't need to be put in there, but also add to like the kind of disjointed weirdness of this movie where are we it moving was moving on to the bad. No, no, no. Oh, this is oh, still my good. Sorry. But still there's the weird mutant dog children at the entrance of the power mm-hmm. plant. Mm-hmm. Like those, those guardians, there's really signals creepy there. and weird. Yeah. What? Yeah. It's like, that's weird. And then as far as like, cryptozoological kind of creatures or demonic creatures you have the demon rat who is then attacked by the demon cat the demon cat <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing is is so specifically the, the dogs that is so fucking weird yeah so there you go and they then look like dogs uh, wearing like people like if dogs in a dog reality they went to like a halloween store they would wear like people masks like that's what they looked like <laughs> they were wearing it was so bizarre it's so creepy well and i don't know if you've made this connection or you've had this up but it definitely looks like the um the the dead alive baby yeah it look like the yeah, dead alive baby does, it does. Uh, what is it? What is the dead light baby's name? It's like Selwyn. Selwyn. Thank you. I knew it began with that. I wanted to say Severin, but that's that's our dude from uh, near Bill Paxton. Yeah, Bill Paxton. So, yeah, you have that. Um, and I think that's what I got. That's what. Oh, I, I did want to. I did want to do a quick shout out. Uh, uh, Lisa's mom's actually a babe. 
Mm-hmm. Her dad is her dad is a schlub. The dad reminds weird. me of uh, of Johnny Depp's character's dad. Like yeah, was like the exact same fucking person. Right. So we have yeah, we have these different like kind of uh, reprises or archetypes that are being transferred between movies. We got the Rod and Grady. We got the schlubby kind of like pot bellied tubby doughy dad with the <laughs> hot mom but glenn's mom isn't hot she's like a straight up mom mom but like lisa's mom is who agreed thank you yeah so she's in the boner corner of our of the podcast the milf the uh the cc or uh, what's the fucking name <sighs> the voice actress. poison oh the voice actress yes. from uh you can't remember her name and you fucking like you just went carried on so much about I how much you love CC this woman. I can't out of my fucking head like she's the guitarist and Now you poison. can't remember her name. <laughs> E.G. Daly. Come e. on. E.G. Daly. Get your, get your boner out of your brain. <laughs> can't think straight. <laughs> she gets the E.G. Daly award. Speaking of like um, you know gay subtext in the closet stuff we're finding out here that Hat has a boner for CC Deville. <laughs> well, honestly, uh, if I could, if I drank like an entire thing of Rumple Mints, I'd be hard pressed to tell the difference between CC Deville and EG Daily. <laughs> you, you'd, you, you'd be like, uh, you'd be like Steve, Steve Buscemi and the Wedding Singer when he's like drunk yeah. and seeing the keyboard player, the the, the boy George keyboard keyboard player, and be like, oh. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> It must have been hard in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. There's a lot of a lot of that where you're just like "Mm." Motley Crue and Poison. Unless you're in, you know, once I start hitting on the the Fu Manchu guy in Motley Crue, that would be a fucking issue. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) The Fu Manchu guy. That guy refused to do any of the fucking drag shit. (laughs) He was like, I've got a crippling disorder. I'm not wearing all this shit. Well, he's like, yes, I have a crippling disorder. I'm also like 20 years older than all of these guys. <laughs> is he though? Or did that or did yeah. whatever disorder he have just make him look fucking old as shit? <laughs> no, no. Mick Mars was Mick like Mars. in his early, there, finally. Mick yeah. Mars was in his, not 20, but he was in his early 30s and they were all in their 20s when he joined the band. That dude for like a decade was just, just a career... It, like guitar for hire guy on the strip. He was just always trying to make it. He played like in blues rock bands. He's actually from Indiana. He's from Huntington, Indiana, which is where my oh family my is from. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Well, he was uh, like a proto West Borland. So good for him. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, moving on, huh? <laughs> Let's get to the bad. Let me grab off the mic discussion my computer charger i'm down to five percent on this fucking bitch hold on sounds good in what stands to be the strangest transition we've ever made we'll go straight from our mick mars discussion into the bad <laughs> mm-hmm. for how like for how like I wouldn't say glaringly bad but for how fucking 
strange this movie is. I don't have like a lot of bad. It's fun. Like yeah. overall, it's like a super fun movie. It's just it's more. Yeah, there's more questions and, and weirdness. Yeah, that don't really translate to overall like shittiness. I think, you know, bad the way they treated Mark Patton. Especially knowing, you know, more from our discussion off the top. That sucks. They just railroaded like a closeted gay guy into a role that could have been like revolutionary or transformative for a lot of people. Right. It's just like, just, it just sucks. Just denying the whole the whole reason that the film exists and you know, extremely exploitative, extremely exploitative. They used him and he got, yeah, they used him and hung him out to dry. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. He got the coach Schneider, (laughs) man. They hung him out to dry like a, like a demon towel, (laughs) like a blood stained demon towel. Uh, That that would be the biggest bad for me. But in terms of movie bad, it's a fun movie. It's just the the wide expanse between how great the first one is and how good yeah. this one is. It's just real. It, it's just a pretty large divide. But that doesn't make this one bad. Uh, it's still super fun. The first one is just so iconic that I, I think of the big three franchises, they all kind of stumble fucked their way into a second one. Um Maybe Friday the 13th being the one that transitioned the most smoothly because Halloween yeah. 2 just feels like cut scenes of Halloween. Like <laughs> It feels like Halloween 1, the extended the director's cut. Like it, it's it's not that much different than the first. And this one is kind of stumbling out the blocks. Um, but I really like the burlap sack uh, uh, Jason. That, that's so do I. Yeah, I think that's really fucking cool. Burlap Sack Jason is, uh, uh, yeah, it just adds like this whole extra like gross creepiness to that character. <laughs> Not to get into, maybe we'll save this for next year's Flixtober series, but yeah. isn't it fucking crazy that Friday, the Friday the 13th franchise doesn't see Jason Voorhees in a hockey mask until three? Not yeah, like. So crazy. Like, how do you have a fucking franchise like Halloween right off the bat? Iconic Shatner mask, you know, silent idiot yeah. or whatever. And then Freddy being in this one. But it's like Friday the 13th kind of just stumble fucked their way there. <laughs> it's, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. He's not even yeah. in the first. He's not even the killer. So I know it is that, interesting. That's how, really cool. How, right. Yeah. The evolution of that series for sure. Um so bad or I don't know, man, like these aren't again, they're not bad. They're just they're just weird. Like most of my bads are just questions, basically. Yeah. So there's the room cleaning dance. See, even that's like uh, uh, <laughs> just <laughs> so bad. It's good. So, I mean, I yeah. don't even know. Um, to that. Yeah, what's all- the what's the, not? Why can't I think of the fucking? Oh, uh. Uh, touch me, dear yeah. me, all night long. Yeah, that that which, is crazy. Which is a cup like it's clearly a different band performing that song, so they didn't have to play pay royalties to. I don't know who's the original 
artists. It's not like Sheena Easton or something, but you know what I mean? So like they did that. That's what, you know, of course that was, you know, that's, that's the move that these lower budget indie type movies did. You know, they didn't have actual product placement at the time. They had the fake products and then they had the bands doing the cover versions of the famous songs. So they sidestepped all these legal issues and things like that, that way. Yeah. Which, you know, they're, they're not trying to put a million dollars into the sequence where he like, un like, what do you call that fucking toy with the cork at the end? I don't even know what the hell that thing's called. <laughs> like a like, pop gun, like sort of like, thing. Yeah, yeah. Like a pop gun. Yeah. They didn't want to put a bunch of money into the <laughs> overtly homoerotic pop gun fucking dance sequence. Although there is a toy game placement that's a real thing. I thought it was another one of these subtextual made up things, but we found out it's a real thing. If you look, when they go into the closet in Jesse's room, there is a game. It's a Parker Brothers game called Probe. <laughs> Just <laughs> pile it on. <laughs> <laughs> According to this, this is that original song, Touch Me All Night Long, a single by Fonda Ray, which was a minor hit for her. Um, And it featured in the slasher film. Yeah, I would have thought it was somebody bigger than that. Um, No, it it was just some one hit wonder thing, like an R&B singer named Fonda Ray Wood. Which is crazy, she's an R&B singer with like a fucking (laughs) outlaw country name, Fonda Ray Wood. Yeah. Weird. What? Shit, you said Did wood. you say <laughs> more content, more subtext? <laughs> uh, okay, well, there you go. We, th- we're always learning something new while we're doing this. This is always a journey. Always a... Uh, it is. So, there's the no underwear under the jock strap thing happening when Brady and Jesse are rolling around in the dirt. A lot of yeah, just a lot of of like grab assing and like uh just pantsing (laughs) and free cheeking like just like let me see them cheeks, bro. You know. Coach Snyder yells at them, assume the position also. (laughs) Yeah, so it's weird when they both grab their ankles and <laughs> and then he dark. fucks him in the ass, and right there, and it's like, what's going? The, More this, subtext. What? <laughs> this movie's gay. That's what? a metaphor for something. <laughs> you uh, know, high school is, is just one big butt fuck. I mean, it really is. If you actually had, if you had to go to the high schools that you and I went to, being from Indiana. Yes, true, true, and that like. Uh, I was going to say one thing, but that leads me. It's a good segue to talking about how Schneider is, in a lot of ways, the archetypical, like, asshole PE teacher that most of us had, who also, like, he's like, he's a failed cop, probably, or a failed military guy, and also isn't particularly in that great a shape himself, He, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like this, like, you know, just, like, has no muscle tone whatsoever, you know, beer-gutted tall guy he reminds me of coach buzz cut from <laughs> he has a buzz cut too so I, he has a buzz cut too so we got that guy what is up with the point of view shot from the cockatiel that is flying around the walsh's living room 
I don't know. It's like somebody somebody was like, check out this like I put a camera on a boom mic. <laughs> We're gonna put it on a on a uh, remote control helicopter. This is pre-drone. <laughs> what the fuck is this? I don't know, but you get shots. some really great point of view screaming. That would have been a fun scene to be a fly on the wall shooting that. Or be a cock a cockatiel in the in the room. A cockatiel. So what what the fuck is a cockatiel? (laughs) It's like a miniature parrot. Hmm. It's like a tiny parrot. Yeah, that that sequence. The cockatiel sequence is in the bad. You're right. So we have in here, there's retconning of the story of of Nancy. Well, because we don't really know. Here's here's what's interesting, tying these two together. Because you don't know what happens at the end of one. They leave it open-ended. Like I said, is it a dream? Did Freddy happen to kill uh, Nancy's friends and and mom? They retconned it in this movie as Nancy went insane and her mother, Marge, killed herself in the living room. And then they just disappeared. Yeah, I I guess they had to somehow... Because she, you know, having moved into their house, I guess you could have wor- the workaround would be why move into the same house? I guess then you don't get the diary and the, you know, uh, <laughs> a view into her madness and all that. And maybe it's not as easy to possess Jesse if he didn't move directly into the home where the glove is assumably still in the basement and everything. So I don't know. The house. Yeah. The house is, is a necessary character in creating the continuity that they wanted to hear for sure. But it also um, forces their hand in explaining why you don't bring back Nancy. Right. Whereas you could have three, avoided that altogether. And then in three, which we'll get into next episode, stay tuned. Um, they kind of talk about it a little bit more, try to imply what happened because then Nancy's father becomes further estranged and then she goes off and does her own thing. So she clearly has a mental breakdown at some point and redeems herself. Anyways, we're getting a little too off track, but you know what I'm saying? Like, so they kind of try to explain what happened in in the first one with the second one, as far as where Nancy goes. The retconning is bad. No, I don't think it's bad. I'm just, and I, I know this is the bad, but I'm just no, okay. saying that that's there. I'm just talking about a thing. Yeah. Anyways. So, yeah, I don't know, man. Okay, bad. Also bad. Before I forget, because I almost did it with the first one. Again, here we have a scenario where Freddy is this all-powerful demonic force. And at this point, he's... Even though he was somehow dispatched in the first one, we don't know exactly how. He might have; it was temporary. Clearly, he was just wished away essentially by Nancy. Here we have another situation where he is dealt with by essentially a woman talking mean to him. It's his Achilles heel, <laughs> because really obviously shrinks. we know. We, we yes, well, we know that Freddie, due to what his history is and where his backstory is uh, coming from, and we'll find out later on. He has mom issues. He has issues with women. He's clearly, you know, he ain't got game. 
So is that what we're trying to say here is if a woman actually steps to Freddy, goes toe to toe with him, he withers. He just can't handle it. It's yeah. just like because he's he's because he's a man that's used to getting everything he wants. But once a woman finally is like, no, motherfucker. They ain't going to be like that. Then he's just like, oh, mommy. And then yeah. he just, you know, it's not, it's not a good look for Freddie that <laughs> if any, if any woman shows any sort of uh, assertiveness, <laughs> he withers. That's yes. Not, he not withers. For him. So this is the second time where this happens this time where he, he self implodes like that poor cockatiel. Yes. He turns into a, a, a firing a, a, to to paraphrase autopsy, the band autopsy. He turns into a twisted, churning, burnt mass. Literally. From, yes. From from whence Jesse from which, emerges. Yeah, just, well, he's reborn. In, a, a phoenix reborn. Would I like the callback of just like how uh, Freddy stepped through Jesse. Jesse then steps through uh, the charred remains of Freddy to reclaim his life for himself. So, I right. like that aspect of it. Yeah. So, I don't know. Again, like these, we're, we're, we're blurring the lines here between questions and bad because, like you said, there's no I've got questions, bad. though. Yeah, definitive questions. Yeah. I don't have a ton of bad. But, so, so just. Going to questions then, like more assertively, let's establish what are questions that you have. Does everybody see Jesse or Freddy? I think they go back and forth and back and forth on this. Like, I feel like when the bro is talking to him at the pool party and it's Freddy, he's not like, who are you or where the fuck did you come from? He's like, calm down. Uh, He's like trying to talk him off the ledge as if he's Jesse. So... Yeah. yeah. Do they see Jesse or do they see Freddie? That is interesting that you pointed out that way, because it could be that the viewer is seeing Freddie, but the viewer of the movie, the outside participant, the fourth wall participant. But we the see, people. Yeah. Yeah. But they see, see Jesse. And that's why. Yeah, that's a good thing. I, you know, I never really thought about that. That's a good point to, to bring up. And that's why. Yeah. Where. You know, Lisa jumps in. Also, bad. Sorry, I do have bad. Lisa's dad is the worst shot in the fucking world. That was that's so funny you said that because I think that's just in my questions. Let me see. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> my question is so it it's in your bad, but I I brought the same thing, but only as a question. Why does Freddie leave the pool party? Um, and then you know. The, the question, the answer to the question being like, because Lisa's dad fired the shotgun into like the ambrosia salad. Like, what the, who the <laughs> f- <laughs> like, what the fuck is Freddie like? Ah, shit. Did, there goes the fucking appetizers. Like, he leaves the party for no reason. Like, he could have kept killing. There's no threat on his life. Not with that dude firing. <laughs> that's crazy. Right. So that's. 
Yeah, that's like a writing, you know, plot issue where, yeah, it's just like, what is he just like? Ah, this party sucks. I'm not sure if he even says anything. <laughs> That'd be funny no. if he was like, well, surfs up and then just goes through the fucking fence or whatever. <laughs> but like, <laughs> well, he says, uh, now you are all my children or you're all my children now. So he does that grandiose kind of exclamation. Was that before or after the shotgun blast? That's right after. <laughs> what a declaration. Uh, yeah. And then he, he ghosts the party. Um, I mean, he leaves the party how I feel like I, I want to leave every fucking party I go to by just walking through the shrubbery, <laughs> leaving unannounced. But yeah, and then telling everyone they're my fucking children. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're, you're like that Homer meme, but the reverse Yes, or like yes, Homer back yeah. into the into the shrubbery. I'm back and back into the shrubbery. I'm going to do that the next party. I'm going to say, "You are all my children now," and then I'm going to walk out the <laughs> or back out of like a smash out the fucking window or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think there's a real misstep here uh, to not have like leather rebel. Or like some sort of Judas Priest song playing. Instead of giving the money towards All Night Long, it should have been some Judas Priest song playing during uh, uh, the Coach Schneider scene. It should have been. That would have been good. I would have liked that. Not sure if Leather Rebel was even out at that time. But there's yeah, plenty was. of Judas Priest songs to, to pull from. So. Yeah. <laughs> But I don't even know if Rob Halford was out of the closet by then either. So it was all just Im- implicated. This was all implicated. True. True. Um, what I have as a question is, okay, so that bus that they're taking to school back and forth is a piece of shit. Like, <laughs> fuck, man. Like, what's where's the PTA committee on that? But also, what is up with the body glove sticker there on the driver's panel? Like, I know. And with such prominence, too. Like, it's supposed to mean something. I know. <laughs> that bus, though, is garbage. Like, for what you would conceive as an affluent white suburban community, essentially, you'd think that they'd be able to pull together a little more funds for the bus it's a child safety rickety ass yeah it's a Mm -hmm. it's a fucking hazard if that's that bus (laughs) then what's the short bus look like like what do the lesser buses look like in the town those those poor children yeah having watched this three times does you know maybe you can answer (laughs) this question where are, maybe this happened and I just missed it. Where are all the bars on the fucking windows of the house? They're there. There's a part where is where the dad taking them mid- down? Yes, he's taking okay. them off. They're, okay, but they're not on the first l- floor. So I think what it's it's implying is he's already taken off all the the bars off of the the ground level, and now he's working his way up to the second floor. <laughs> Okay, because there were shots of the house and I was like, where are the fucking bars? Because they even make a point to be like, oh, you moved into the house with the bars on the windows or whatever. And obviously the bars get put on the windows in the first one. So I guess I just I must have missed the the detail that dad was in the process of taking them down. Also, another subtle detail with the house in the, the first one, it's a green door. And then from here on out, it's a red door. Huh. I wonder if that symbolizes anything. 
I'm, I, I know it does. Absolutely does. What is the symbol? Green and red, obviously, is are two predominant colors throughout the whole series. Not only in terms of represented in the sweater, yeah. in the house, but also in the lighting. In yeah, you'll see green and red everywhere. Yeah, his underworld is usually shot in a red, um, red tone. Yeah, so this is very Argento. Uh, in its in its um, utilization of lighting, yeah, absolutely. So, anything else? No, no. I I don't at least. So we're going to chalk this up to saying that we both agree that although yes, two does not measure up quite to the first one. It's still a pretty good movie, and you know it. It's one of those that. I feel like this is two is in many ways like Halloween three, where it's one of those movies that it's actually a pretty serviceable horror movie and definitely has gotten more flack than it needs to uh, because of its superior counterpart. And yeah. It's, you know, it's the only by one. comparison that it's. <laughs> That it suffers. And being so weird, right? Yeah. So weird and different than the first one. That that that's where a lot of people felt it jumped the shark. Well, so. let's do this at the end of every episode. Let's let's rank these as we go. So it's a no-brainer yeah. to say just right now we have one followed by two. But as we go to the next episode, we can add three and four to the rankings list. Um and we'll both have our own individual rankings of this of the series. But as of right now, which, you know, it's too early to be ranking anything because one is always going to be one and everything after that will have its have its own order. So, sure. Well, not to. So moving on then and not to. I guess foreshadow or give any in real indication. I just gleeked all over my. <laughs> hey, look at me! Freddy's revenge. Adam's revenge. Uh, I'm just. I'm. <laughs> I'm. Uh, uh, I'm getting so excited about talking about the next uh, episode. So the next episode, we're going to be tackling three and four. And as I kind of indicated up top, I think a bit. Um, that's when things really start getting wacky. In this series, we, we get fun, Freddy. This is where, yes, three is the debut of the of the yucking it up, Freddy. The zingers left and right, Freddy. The oft quotable Freddy. So, so yeah, next week, Dream Warriors, um, followed by Dream Master. It'll be a back to back Dream Ma- uh, Dream Warriors Dream Master episode, um, and Dream, we'll, dreaming. We're dreaming, baby. California dreaming um, will be the, the theme of the of the episode. But yeah, we'll just keep banging these out until we're we've gone through the whole franchise. Fantastic. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Next week, we'll tackle uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4, Dream Warriors, and Dream Master. So until then, catch you next week. See ya. Uh,